We are finishing up a series called The Radical Teachings of Jesus. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, Radical? Radical. Turn to the person on the other side and say, Radical. So this has been a five-part series, and this is the last one. Aren't you glad? Come on, aren't you glad we're finishing this up? And the reason why you're glad is because the premise of this series comes out of John chapter 8 and verse 31, where Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Or as the uh, Passion translate, par- paraphrased it, uh, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. So this is a great question that I'm constantly trying to help people answer. Are you really a Christian? Or do you really, do you really, are you really a Christian? And in the United States, 84% uh, of Americans claim, excuse me, 82% of Americans claim to be Christian. But only 4% of Americans obey the scriptures. And so what that means is 78% of Americans think they're Christians, but they're probably not. Jesus qualifies what a Christian or his followers are. He says, you're mine if you obey my teachings. And so that whole premise is then, then Lord, what did you teach? I want to I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. But what did you teach? And I want to do my best to obey it. Last week, we actually dealt with the teaching. If you didn't hear that, if you weren't here with us, you need to go back and get that one. You can watch it on, on, uh, from our website or through the app uh, where we taught about where Jesus said, if your hand offends, you cut it off. If your eye offends, you plug it out. And uh, Jesus wasn't being literal about cutting our hands off because we sin or pl- plucking our eyes out because we sin. What he was doing is, though, being serious. And so he was trying to help us understand how serious sin is and how destructive it is and how it will destroy our relationship with him. Now, as we go into today's and final piece in this whole series, this one is probably this part that he taught. More people know this around the world. This little teaching of his, more than any other thing Jesus ever taught, as us on just quote this all the time. And this is, in part five here, is when he teaches us on judge not. So let's look in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, Jesus said like this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, I don't know about you, but it's amazing how people who don't even believe in Jesus, they will quote that right there to you all the time, won't they? And they don't quote it in, in, in NIV. They quote it in Old King James, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Judge not, lest, lest you be judged. It's amazing. And they pull this... Uh, And they don't even know it's in the Bible, many of them. But verse 1 again, do not judge, or you too will be judged, Jesus speaking. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Look at Jesus. He is, he's bringing it. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus starts off this chapter, chapter 7, verse 1, with this teaching on judge not, lest ye be judged. Now let's qualify that. What does he mean by judge not? Is Jesus actually telling us we can't make a judgment call in people's lives? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying, let me scenario base it for a little bit. Um, If a man has a mask on, as you pull up to the bank, comes running out with a nine millimeter in his hand and a bag of cash, should you judge that and say, I think he might be a robber? Or are you supposed to go, I just don't want to judge. Just don't want to judge. Let's, I just, I don't know, you answer that. Uh, Is it it wrong or is Jesus condemning um, if uh, there's a guy at the church in your small group, let's say, who's married, and you see him flirting clearly with a woman who's not his wife, is it 
You judging them to say, hey, bro, I think you might not want to do that. That gives off a wrong appearance. Is that judging? And is that what Jesus is condemning? How about this one? 19-year-old down the street on summer break meets your 10-year-old daughter and determines he's in love with her and wants to marry her. Is it wrong for you to go, "Mm, I will murder you, bro, if you come in my yard again? So, So what is Jesus qualifying? What is judging? What is he really qualifying here. I don't think that Jesus is telling us that we cannot have discernment, that we can't make decisions of right and wrong. If that's the case, a teacher can never give you an A, B, C, or D, or an F, because, oh, it's just whatever. I I know you meant to do better, so I don't want to judge you. I I mean, the Olympics, we got to shut the Olympics down, right? We got to get rid of all judges and all this. So so what is Jesus really saying? I think that's impractical for us to think that he's saying you can never judge. Just the opposite, because when you study scripture, you have to you have to put scripture in context. So here's where people get crazy, dumb, crazy things, and they blame it on Christianity and the Bible, because they'll take a piece of something said in the scripture, they'll extract that and not study it in the full context. Imagine if you were having a conversation with somebody, I walked up and I just grabbed one little part of it and I posted that. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant, okay? I did not mean that about white people. What I was saying was, and can you imagine if they, and so that's what people do with scripture. And then they'll go do whatever they want to do because they found a little something in there and they extracted. And so when you study the Bible, one of the key things you have to do is study it in context. You also have to study it not only in the context of what's happening right then, but you also have to study it in its entirety. So why would Jesus say this over here and then the Bible says something totally contradictory over there? And the reason that is is because people aren't putting in, in the fullness of, that, of, that, of what God is talking about in his word. And so when you put it in the fullness, and that's why you can't just read the Bible on Sunday and get a little bit from my messages. You and I need to know our Bible and we need to study it. I served a little lady named Frida Lindsay. She uh, was the co-founder of Christ for the Nations, amazing ministry. And she read the Bible through every year. She would read five chapters a day, excuse me, three chapters a day, and then she'd read five chapters on Sunday. And by doing that every day, you can read through the entire Bible. She read through the entire Bible once a year for 72 years. When she said, that's not really what the Bible means, we all went, okay, well, whatever you say it means. You obviously know, because we don't. I just read a little bit of it. You know what I'm saying? And so what we have to do is put in, so let's put this in context. First off, let's back up to chapter six. In chapter six, Jesus, book of Matthew, is dealing with hypocrisy. He's dealing with hypocrisy, hypocrisy. How can he, how can he deal with hypocrisy without making a judgment that that's hypocritical? So he's making a judgment. This is hypocrisy. So how can he then tell us in chapter seven, don't ever judge? Jesus is not so much talking about not judging, what he's talking about is let us not go down through the judgment process. Let us not become critical judgment process people. Let me explain to you what the critical judgment process looks like. Some of you don't realize this, but we all have this little critical judgment process that we jump into. And the first step in this whole critical judgment process is that we begin to assume the worst. Jesus is condemning that. The moment somebody does something, we assume the worst. That's what I'm calling the critical judgment process. Then what we do after we assume the worst is we assign a motive to it. Yeah, I know why you did that. This is payback because as we make up a day card, all right, I see you, I see you. We assign a motive to it. And then what we do after that is we make up a narrative and we come up with this storyline on why they would do that. So the first thing we do is we assume the worst. And then what we do is we assign some type of motive. We don't know that's really their motive, but we assign it to them. Because that's what we think they must be doing. Then we make up a a narrative of why they're doing that. And then what happens by the end of it is that we then act upon the narrative that we've made up. 
give a great example of this. Uh, Pastor Keith Brown, uh, you guys were here a couple weeks ago. Pastor Keith Brown was our guest minister. He's one of my spiritual sons. I've known him since he was 14 years old. I've been his mentor, his disciple, his pastor. Years ago, he was helping me. He was my assistant youth pastor. We were youth ministers in Arlington at a church there. And, uh, and if you didn't meet Pastor Keith, uh, he's about 6'4", he's chiseled, good-looking African-American man, I mean, and he's been that good-looking since he was 14, and he only gets better. It ticks me off. Like, I'm getting fat and ugly, and he's getting better looking. I mean, they've got four kids, he and his, his wife, and, and, and I told him, I said, dude, what's the deal? You get better looking every year, and that's when he told me, he said, hey, you need to understand something, black don't crack. I was like, dang, that's it right there. And so Pastor Keith and I, you know, years ago we were in Arlington. It was a, it was a, it was a spring day, and so we were riding down down uh, Cooper Street, you know, which is two three lanes uh, in, in each direction, and uh, uh, and we got the windows down, and we we're listening to some kind of Christian rap, and we we're just having a blast. I'm driving, he's on the passenger side. We rolled up, and and there was this little late, little white lady in her car with the windows down at the red light. And as soon as we rolled up, she looked over at us, and she started rolling up her window, rolled up her window, and he looked at me, and, and I got mad. I was like, boy, she is, she prejudiced. Look at her being all prejudiced. She, what's she think, you're going to jump out of the car and, and like kill her in the middle of the street? You know, what is she doing that for, you know? And then, so, so before we knew it, the light turns green, she drives off. I said, you know, I bet it was. Bro, I bet it was she, I bet some black dude one time, you know, was mean to her. So now she thinks all black people are murder killers. I bet that's what it is. He goes, yeah, you know, I said, you know, we got to stop this whole prejudice. Look what we did. We didn't even know this lady. She rolls up her window, and we immediately attach motive to what she just did, that she's prejudiced. I mean, we did it. Here we are as pastors. We did that. And then what did we do? We said, oh, she's guilty of it. We, guilty. We had no idea why she rolled up her window. We just assumed it's because a young black man has got his window down, and we listen to Christian rap music, and that's why. And so for all we know, she might have had, she might, didn't like the exhaust coming from my 1965 beat-up car. You know, who knows? But we assigned a motive. We called her guilty. Come on now. This is what Jesus is speaking against. It's this process that we do. He's not saying that we can't judge a situation. We got to judge it. All day long, you have to judge situations. He's not saying we can't do that. And he, he, what he's doing, though, is he's teaching us that what we do is we go beyond what we're supposed to. We begin to assign guilt and blame without even knowing the person. We begin to profile that person and put them in a category based on what we've gone through in life. Come on, are you with me? That's what he's calling judgment. That's what he's condemning. And that's what he's trying to fix in our lives. Are you with me? Say yes. And so what I find is there are three biblical judgment principles that you and I need to know about, that we and you and I need to be careful of. Number one, the first biblical judgment principle that I found is that we should never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. In other words, don't judge it just by what you see right here and right now. We should never walk in to someone's life and to that chapter and make a decision right then and there. You walked in on that chapter of my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I'm headed. And so you can't just superficially come and make a judgment call based on what you're experiencing right here, right now. You got to give me a little bit more space than that. Are you with me? Say yes. And, and, and John chapter seven qualifies this, verse 24. Look what it says. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. The Bible tells us to stop judging by mere appearances. And then it says, but make right judgments. So we have to make right judgments, but we need to stop making judgments superficially. Just what you see right then and there. Just what you think is happening right then and there. That's superficial. Don't make the superficial judgments. A couple years ago, I was on my way to Columbia. And uh, I was going to preach a big crusade thing. And, and I was, you know, I, I go two, three times a year. Well, this particular time, my wife was trying to save their ministry money. So she put me on the worst airline in the world. I'm not going to mention their name, but I will 
bless them. And so, I am, so I'm sitting two rows from the bathroom. I am sitting on a window all cramped up. And, you know, they overbook all those planes. And so I'm sitting there. It's hot. They're already an hour. Why am I? And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I can't be more mad. I am so frustrated. I'm like, this is the devil. Why, am, why is this happening to me? Come on. Have you ever been there? I am already frustrated. But the good thing that's happening to me is the seat next to me, the middle seat, and the aisle seat, no one's in it. Every other seat in the whole plane is taken. And we're about to push off. And I'm like, oh, all of a sudden I got hope. Maybe the Lord is trying to bless me. And maybe, just maybe, these seats are so that I can stretch out and I don't have to sit next to anybody. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Then all of a sudden, here they come down the aisle. This little couple. They've got more bags than they should be allowed to bring on the plane. They're this little white couple, and they are ratty looking. I mean, they look like they are coming from backwoods, trailer track. I mean, it's nasty. Not only that, but they look like they've been, they've been growing hemp all day long because all their hair is matted. I'm serious. They look like, and, and so as they're getting closer, I smell them before I can even really make out their appearance. They stink to high heaven. I start having a natural gag reflex as they sit down next to me. I promise you, I get so mad. Because first off, those are my special seats that you just took for my comfort. And now, not only are you taking them, but you're the worst smelling person I've ever sat next to. Like, there should be some type of rule that they, they should have some sniffing dog that if you can't pass the sniff test, you cannot get on an airplane. They should have, like, these showers that you pay for to have to go take a shower to sit next to people who actually take showers. I am so disgusted. I'm so mad. They, I promise you, they are not, and not to mention, they got a little newborn with them. And you know this girl is like commune because she's got the little wrap thing, got the baby in there, and she's just steadily feeding. And I'm sitting there next to her trying not to lick and trying all this nasty. And y'all smell so bad. And I'm trying to get air from the window, but the windows are all locked up. You know, you can't do anything. And it's not, and I'm by the bathroom, and I am so mad. And I, and, and I, start, I, I start thinking, why are they going to Columbia? What is this little white couple going to Columbia for? They ain't bathed in a month. Why are they going to Columbia? And I figured it out. I know what they're doing. They're going to go live in some commune. They're going to grow weed, and they're going to sell it all over the world. And they're going to have little babies, and you'll be dancing around here, christian style kind of stuff. I know who they are, and they sit next to me, and that's the devil. And I'm mad. I'm so mad. And we take off, and I'm telling you, I have never smelled anybody this bad, I promise you. No one has ever smelled that bad. And they got all this little homemade food they're pulling out to try to give the baby and stuff, like mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes that they made themselves and sprinkled some kind of nasty stuff on it. Finally, I'm trying my best to be in prayer so I can be prepared for the ministry I'm about to go do. And the little gal taps me on the shoulder. She says, so what's, what, why are you going to Columbia? And I realized I got to tell her I'm a pastor. I said, I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, baby's a pastor. They start crying. Now, those tears don't help their funk, I'm telling you. Because, <laughs> like, if I'd have had wet wipes, I'd have been handing them out. I promise you right now. I was trying to figure, but I, I wear roll-on. I don't wear uh, spray deodorant. I'd have been like this, Adam, you know, you know, trying to spray it over on them. But she goes, oh, my goodness. She goes, we're going to be missionaries in Columbia. I was like, you got to be kidding me. She goes, yes, pastor, pray for us. We've had the worst two weeks of our life. 
When we made a decision to be missionaries, we put our house up for sale and the mission base that we're going with, and then we had a tragedy in our family. And so our house sold, and we turned off all the electricity and all the water, but we've not been able to move out of the house because of this tragedy. We had to push our flyout date, and so we've not had water or electricity, and we've not been able to get rid of all our stuff, and we barely made the plane today, and it's just been the worst week of our life. I don't think we bathed in three or four days. I'm like, no, it's been five or six, I promise. <laughs> Five or six. I'm looking at these sweet little missionary couple. And what have I done? I have judged them. I've done the opposite of what Jesus said to do. I have judged them. We should never, number one, judge superficially. Number two, we should never judge hypocritically. We should never judge hypocritically. Look, Jesus is talking about that in this chapter 7 of Matthew passage. But Paul expands on it even more in Romans chapter 2. Look what he says in verse 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, talking about others, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Paul saying, are you out of your mind? How dare you, how dare you judge others when you yourself have junk in your own life? Don't you understand? God's been gracious with you. Why can you not be gracious? Why would you stand in judgment of them knowing that God, he, you're happy for God's tolerance and his patience in your life, but you don't want him to have that in life of others? And he calls that hypocritical. And what happens, we do this all the time. We're mad at people for doing this over here when we're doing something real similar over here. That's hypocritical. It's really hypocritical. Jesus calls us hypocrites in chapter 7 when he, when he says the same thing about the plank in our eye. It calls it hypocritical it, it, because we're, 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 we're mad about some, what someone else is doing, but we're doing this to somebody else. We're mad at what someone else is, but yet we're that over here in our family unit. He calls it hypocritical. And we should never judge hypocritically. A pastor friend of mine was telling a story recently. He's telling a story about how this guy in his church called him up, a single guy, had some other single guys living in his home with him. He calls him up. He said, Pastor, this ain't right. One of the guys at the church said should come and live with me. Good guy in the singles ministry. He said, last night I caught him looking at porn. Pastor, I cannot have that wickedness in my home. My home is supposed to be a place of purity, a place of rightness. Cannot have it. What is the church going to do about it? So the pastor's trying, he's telling the story. He's like, I'm trying to like, look, dude, you need to show grace. I, yes, it's sin and the guy needs to repent of it, but you need to show grace. You don't just kick somebody out of your house because they're struggling with something. Come on now. And then the pastor went on to say, you know what we found out as we dove into this thing? And all these relationships to try to fix this particular thing, we found out two days later that the guy who's calling, who's mad and wants to kick the guy out of his house, oh yeah, he's been in an adulterous affair with one of the women in our church who's married to somebody on our team. He said, you can't get any more hypocritical than that. But here's the thing, is we want, we want God to have grace on us, but we want him to have justice with everybody else. And that's what Jesus is condemning. That's what he's talking about, judge not. He's not talking, see, we have to make judgment calls all day long, but we should never judge superficially. We should never ju judge hi hypocritically. And then number three, we should never hold non-Christians to our Christian standards. We find this in the Word. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 12. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Now, Paul's not saying, hey, as a communal person who lives in this area or what's going on in the government, that I can't stand up against that. What he's saying is we shouldn't go and try to take Christians and call non-Christians and call them to a Christian standard. Listen, I expect a non-Christian to smoke dope. 
They have no hope. Why would they not try to find some type of peace? I expect a person who doesn't believe that the God who created all of us really exists, I expect them to believe in evolution because they don't believe in God. So why would I be angry with them that they, that they see it a different way? They, I cannot call them into account for the fact that they're not a Christian to try to live according to Christian ways. And I find this with parents all the time. We did years of youth ministry, Jamie and I. And I would always tell these parents, listen, you do understand, your 16-year-old does not love God. I know you raised them in the church, but they are not a believer. They do not follow Jesus. So you keep trying to get them to do these certain things according to Scripture, and you're fighting with them. And the problem is, is because you're taking the wrong approach. You're trying to treat them like a Christian who just needs to change some things when they are not a follower of Christ, and you're just causing more conflict for you and them. Paul said, what's it? that's not my business. Paul says, we should judge one another in the church. We should correct one another is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, we should walk, watch each other's back. He said, bro, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should slap your kid around like that and call that submission. I don't think that's really what the Lord meant. Paul said, but I, why would I do that with someone? I can't do that outside of the body of believers because they don't have that same standard. We should not call non-Christians to a Christian standard. They, they can't do that. That's not fair to them. And that's why we have such conflict because we have people who say the church is judgmental and the church is this. And the only reason it's that is because we've tried to treat them as though they were Christians and that they should be submitting to God's law and God's ways. But they don't. <laughs> and so it's, it's so, talk about liberate you when you realize, wait, my coworker is a pagan. I mean, you know, maybe not a pagan. But my coworker doesn't love Jesus. He's not a Christian. So you know what? I don't have to try to get him to act according to Christian standards. I don't have to try to, you know, listen, man, just listen, bro. I know you're not a Christian. Just don't drop the F-bomb in front of me all day long. It ticks me off. You don't have to call him, hey, bro, I thought you, you know, you should know better. You should do better. God's not pleased with that. And that's not helping him one bit. That's only causing more conflict. So that's what Paul's talking about. So when it's talked about judgment, we should, number, number one, we should never judge superficially. Number two, we should never judge hypocritically. We should, how are we going to judge you when I'm struggling with this thing in myself? And then number three, we should never ask a non-Christian to live according to Christian standards. Now, that don't mean that, that I, I would tell those parents all the time, listen, that 16-year-old, it's your house. You may not, I don't, I don't know why God gave them free will. They don't want to serve God, that's okay. God gave them free will. But you can say, hey, this is my house. You're not going to live like this in my house. So you can do something else, right or wrong. But you're not going to live. You may not love Jesus, and I get that. I love you. But that's a different approach. So now I'm going to approach that person not as a person who should be living according to God's standards. I'm going to approach that person, a person who doesn't know the goodness of God. And I want to help them know the goodness of God and the love of God and help them find forgiveness in Christ. So I take a different approach. And that's what Paul is really teaching us here. So when it comes to judgment, we are supposed to judge. We're just not supposed to judge according to the critical judgment process. We're supposed to make judgment calls all day long. You have to do that. We're just not supposed to be criti crit uh, uh, critical and critiquing the brokenness in other people's lives like that because we all have brokenness in our life. Jesus continuing on in that whole piece in chapter 7. He then starts talking about measuring. In verse 2 he says it like this, And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, so you got to understand, he's talking to Jews. He's talking 2,000 years ago to them. So they don't go to Walmart and have their grocery job, you know, pick up. The way they get their food, if they don't grow up themselves, they then go to market. And if you've ever been to an open market in the Middle East or in an Asian country or even down in Mexico, somewhere like that, it's an experience, right? Like, is that chicken? Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. It's just hanging there, you know, flies are all around it. And then what they do in Jesus' time is as you went to purchase something, they would have their little units of measurement, and they would take the little wheat, and they would, put a, and they would measure it on the little scale. 
And what they would do all the time was they would cheat the scales and they put an extra hidden weight so it looked like you were getting more than you were and they'd make you pay for it. They were cheating you, if you will. And so when Jesus starts talking about with what measure you use, that immediately sparks these Jewish people who live, you know, in, 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 in you know, uh, uh, 2,000 years ago, it immediately sparks them to what they experience every day in the, uh, in, at, at the market. There are those people who are very generous, and then there are those people that are very stingy. There are those people that were like, listen, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to give you a little extra. I know your family's going through it. Don't worry about it. Just pay me, just pay me for the one pound. You know, I, I'm giving you a pound and a half. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's so sweet. Jesus saying how you measure out grace and mercy and kindness to others is what you're going to receive in return. In fact, Jesus actually, he actually tells us that we get to choose how we're going to be judged. If you will measure out grace and mercy, that'll cause you to have grace and mercy measured out to you. I love David Seafood's a local restaurant here in Cedar Hill. I love to go there. And the reason why is because when I first started going there, uh, Mr. David was still, still alive. He's since passed. And we would sit there and we came in regularly. And so it's, it's sort of happening that the, the waitress would come over and she would put this little, this little appetizer on the table. And I was like, well, we didn't order appetizer. No, Mr. David just wanted to give you that. And just thank you for your business. Like, oh, all right. Yes, sir. A little free appetizer. Come on now. And then when the bill would come around and I'm trying to think, am I going to tip 15%, 20%, 5%, no percent? I'm thinking, I'm going big. Why? Because I got a free appetizer. These people, I am somebody in this place. Made me feel good about myself. And I would go there all the time. I, mean, I was always thinking, well, let's go over there because we're going to get that free little piece of bread. They put some cheese on top of it as an appetizer. Ooh, let's do that. After I went there for a few months, I realized he was doing that with everybody. I was like, dang, that's just his marketing plan. But you know what he was? He was generous with what he had, which made me want to be generous with what I have. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When it comes to judgment and engagement with one another, we should be generous with grace. We should be generous with mercy. We should be generous with uh, nothing worse than a stingy person. Nothing makes me more mad than stand there in line at Chipotle and say, bro, can you give me some more beans? Come on, bro. Come on, man. Like, golly, look at hers down there. Just because she's good looking. You piled all the extra meat, didn't even charge her. Here I am, a short, fat, white guy, and I ain't getting nothing, man. I got a little, two little, where's the beef on my whole thing? This is terrible, right? Nothing works in a stingy person. And Jesus is rebuking us. He's saying, listen, listen, as you judge out with others, as you measure grace and mercy, as you look at your wife and say, and you're keeping track, you know what? Five times this week, you didn't do this. He's saying, ooh, that measurement that you're giving, how you're measuring out just all your little criticism, that's going to be measured back to you and something you're dealing with. And he's warning us about that. And then he goes in and he kind of finishes out this whole discussion, if you will, as he, about measuring. And he, and he tells this passage in Matthew chapter 18. He tells a story about someone who was critical and judgmental. He kind of gives this whole teaching in Matthew 18, jumping over there. He talks about this man who owed the king 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents, and he couldn't pay it. And so let's pick up in verse 26. He says, and the servant fell on his knees before him, before the king. He said, be patient with me. He begged, I'll pay you back everything. And that servant's master took pity on him. He measured out pity. And he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant, keep reading verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Come on, some of you, I've seen you out there in Walmart. Anyway, 
pay me what you owe me. Now let me give you a little bit of how this falls out. 6,000 denarii equal one talent. Okay, so this original servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Takes 6,000 denarii to equal one talent. He basically owes the king 600,000 denarii. This man only owes him 100 denarii. We're talking pennies versus multi-millions. When he sees the guy who owes him pennies, grasping by the throat, get me watching. And then if you keep reading with me, it says that all the people saw what he did and they went and told on him. He went and told the king. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. When you study that out, it would take him 20 lifetimes to be able to pay back 10,000 talents. That's unheard of. This is how, verse 35, my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. In anger, he turned him over. And he said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? This is the big teaching in this whole judge, not lest you be judged. What measure you give will be measured back to you. This is the whole thing that Jesus is trying to get to help us understand. Don't you understand that as you're critical and judgmental and hard on your wife, on your kids, on your mom and dad, as you're doing that, that's why you're receiving that over here on this end. You created you created this situation in your life because you're that way with everyone else. And isn't this the case? We all want mercy. But when someone does us wrong, we want justice. Police officer pulls you over for 20 mile an hour over the speed zone. And what are you doing? Oh, sir or ma'am, you just don't understand. I, 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 you know, it's been a tough week. I don't have the $300 it's going to take for this bill. I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just, you know, I was focused. I'm running late for work. And we start sharing how good we are and spinning that thing to how sweet and kind. And we never meant to do it. And we'll never do it again. Right? Can you imagine? And we would lose our mind if that police officer says, I don't believe you. I believe that you wanted to murder people that you were going to use this 4,000-pound automobile to try to run over little kids. That's why you're doing 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. We would go, you, that ain't, you don't know me. You don't, that's not my heart. I believe that you care more about what you want, sir, trying to get to work, than you care about the safety of our children and the other pedestrians that are out here. That's not true. I care about them. We would lose our mind if that police officer, in fact, that's been part of our problem over the years, is people profiling and, and, and attaching motive to wrong action. We want them to believe the best in us. That really, yes, we made a mistake, but we didn't mean to do it. Why don't we do that with others then? And that's what Jesus is saying. You want grace measured out to you, but you don't measure out grace to others. And then he kind of closed out this thing with this whole plank in the eye speck in your neighbor's eye. It's hilarious, actually. In verse 3, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So Jesus takes this whole thing another step further, and he says, listen, here's the problem. When you begin to be harsh and critical and judgmental with others, you don't even realize this. But first off, you're measuring out what's not, what's not what you don't want to receive, but you're going to receive that because that's what you're measuring out. So if you want kindness, measure out kindness. If you want grace in your life, measure out grace. 
But then he takes it a step further. He says, because you don't even understand that while you're trying to fix what they're not doing right, don't you realize that you've got a big old plank in your eye as well? And then he calls us hypocritical because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For each and every one of us fail throughout the day. Because each and every one of us don't have it perfectly. And Jesus, I would almost, I would illustrate it like this. Jesus is saying like, you look at everybody else through binoculars. And what do binoculars do? They magnify. They make it bigger. So you're at home and you're frustrated with your children, but you're magnifying it because you're looking through binoculars. But if you look through binoculars the opposite direction, what does it do? It minimizes. So we want everyone else to minimize how bad what we're doing is or not right what we're doing and say, listen, that's not my motive. I didn't mean to make you mad. But you did. Yeah, but you don't know my heart. Okay, I want to understand your heart. We're asking them to look at it from this way so they can see it minimized. While we're looking at them and seeing it magnified. And Jesus is calling that wrong. He's calling that sin. He's saying we need to look at everybody and minimize. See, you know what? I don't think she meant that. I know she loves me. Oh, I know. I, listen, because what does the Bible says? Love always believes the best, hopes the best, always protects. This is what love does. And so when you and I look at each other and magnify, yeah, you did that. And I tell you what you meant about that. Look at that. Look at it. Look, I can see it. No one else can see it. But I have a gift of discernment. I can see it. I can see it. And then someone says, well, yeah, what about, you know, hey, I, I think that was a little rude what you did with your kid. And you're like, no, no, no. You need to look at me this way. Because you don't, you don't understand what we've been through. You don't know how it's happened for us. And you and I both need to understand that when you and I, here's a little statement that we're, is worthy of, of mentioning. Self-examination cancels condemnation. Self-exa- let it sink. Self-examination cancels condemnation. See, when you and I are examining ourselves, then we won't be so quick to con- condemn others. As I look in myself, I realize, you know what? I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting on this airplane with this couple, and I am a jerk, man. Or what is in me that I'm so critical. Why am I jumping to conclusions? This little couple is trying their best. They've had the worst week of their life trying to go do something great for God. If anyone that should be understanding, it should be a pastor, be a Christian. Why am I like that? But when you and I start examining, self-examining, we start being less condemning. And that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Hey, before you try to help somebody else, won't you you need to self-examine. You've got to be go. And when Jesus says this statement, everyone listening, it's like a joke. You're trying to help get a sawdust piece out of somebody else's eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. So they're all like, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> you know, ooh. Like, drop the mic. Like, oh, geez, that hurts. But that's funny. And so self-examination. How about this next one? Self-awareness leads to fairness. That's worthy of writing down. Self-awareness leads to fairness. See, when you only view it from your perspective, it's not my fault, it's their fault, everyone else. You don't realize you're not being fair to everybody else because you don't stop and realize what you've done. When I stop sometimes, and the Bible actually says walk a mile in their shoes. is kind of a little statement that we use in Christendom. You know, when I, I stop sometimes and I realize, you know what, I'm being a little bit unfair probably because I don't really know what they've been through. So let me just kind of, and what I'm doing, what am I creating right now? Why do we have conflict? Why are we yelling at each other? Why are we not engaging properly? And I'll back up and say, what am I doing? What am I giving off? What, what am I giving off that's causing them to feel this way? And most of the time, people just aren't self-aware. We just kind of bully through it. When we look at people through magnification, but we expect them to look at us through minimization. 
This is where the breakdown, this is what Jesus is, this is what he's condemning. You know, Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they decide one day they're going to go to the football game at LSU. Somebody gave them free tickets, and they get there to the Louisiana State. Now, Louisiana State University holds 100,000 people, 110,000 people in their stadium. Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they walk up, and as they're looking at their tickets, the little lady goes, okay, you're over here. And I'm sorry, sir, but if y'all were together, your seat is totally opposite the stadium, way over there. 100,000 people yelling and screaming. Boudreaux said, oh, Thibodeau, how are we going to get, you got the money, how are we going to get a hot dog a little later? He said, I'll tell you what we do. I'll just yell over at you, and you can come meet me, and we'll go get the hot dog. Thibodeau said, oh, okay, let's do that. So Boudreaux goes up into his seat way over here, and Thibodeau's 100,000 people cross that way. It's so loud. And all of a sudden, Boudreaux started yelling over, Thibodeau! Thibodeau, where you at? Thibodeau! Guy said next to him, like, what are you doing? My friend Thibodeau, he's here somewhere, and, and, and we said we're going to go get a hot dog. He said, dude. What are you, why are you yelling? There's no way you're going to find somebody who's just yelling like that. So Thibodeau gets to looking way across the state. He sees what he thinks is Boudreaux. I mean, uh, he sees who he thinks is Thibodeau. He says, I think that's him right there. He starts yelling, Thibodeau! Thibodeau, you want a hot dog? Thibodeau! You want a hot Thibodeau! You want a hot dog? And the guy finally says, sir, there is no way he's going to be able to hear you. There's 100,000 people in the stadium. There is no way. He goes, he goes, where is he at? And the guy had a pair of binoculars. He goes, Boudreaux, see, he's over there. He's in a, he's in a blue, he's in a, a, a purple shirt. So he pulls out a binocular. So he's like, oh, purple shirt, yep. Wearing a, uh, 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 a little uh, set of uh, cowboy boots, yep, that's him. He says, looks at Boudreaux, looks at him, he says, what that is? He goes, well, these are binoculars. He said, what do they do? He's trying to think, how am I going to explain to this dumb Cajun what binoculars do? So he says, uh, he says, whatever you look at, it brings them closer. He goes, Boucher, so let me see that. Hey, Thibodeau, you want to get a hot dog? <laughs> Stand with me on that one all across the room. I figured we'd send you out with a bang. Hey, Thibodeau, you want a hot dog? Why do we, why do we pick apart everybody else's shortcomings? But we want grace when it comes to our shortcomings. Jesus condemns that in this teaching, judge not lest you be judged. I don't know about you, but I got enough problems of my own. I don't need to be trying to track down your problems. In fact, I think if the church, those of us that are Christians, if we'd work towards showing grace and mercy to others, I think we'll find grace and mercy extended back to us. I think if we try to sit down and understand people that we're in conflict with and extend that, even though they don't extend it to us, ex- measure that out over and above and be gracious. Give them more than they deserve. I think if we did that, according to Scripture, Jesus says, we'll receive that on the other end. I think if we would stop so worrying about what everybody else is not doing right in the world and what everybody else is messing and if we could just, if we could just work towards being more like Jesus... If we, if we stop magnifying everybody's failures and asking them to minimize ours, I think what happens in that transformation is that people go, okay, that's what it looks like. That's what real Christianity looks like. Jesus doesn't tell us that we can't make judgment calls. We've got to make judgment calls. What he's teaching us is not to buy into the critical judgment process. When we start associating blame and guilt to someone that we don't even really know. That we 
look at the book and judge it by its cover without ever even reading it. That we're hypocritical and we're going through things too, and, but yet we're hearts with them and yet we want grace for us. When Jesus talks about the speck in our eye, in our friend's eye and the plank in our eye, the whole thing is about vision. See, if you're so busy trying to fix everybody else's problems, working with the specks in their eyes, and they're fighting you on it. Meanwhile, having a plank in your eye, the whole problem is the fact that you don't have good vision. And the key to enjoying Christianity is to be able to see Jesus every day and to follow him every day. But if I'm so busy trying to fix you, and I'm not paying attention to what I got. I can't see anything. And I have been blind for three days before. I had a gun blow up in my face and I couldn't, I was blind for, for three days. It is the most miserable three days of my existence. And some of you are blind. You can't see what God's trying to do in your life because you're so busy trying to critique everyone else's life. And you're not realizing the own planks in your own vision that's keeping you from seeing clearly. And so today, as we close out this series and we close out on pretty radical teaching my prayer for you is that you and I would stop being so judgmental and we would start being gracious because as we're gracious as we show so grace into others lives God will cause that to be sown back into our life would you bow your heads with me across the room I want to pray with us and minister to you would you close your eyes could we hear in this moment how about we How about we repent for quickly jumping into the critical judgment process? I do it. I know you do it. Could we just start there? Father, forgive us. We're so quick to jump into that critical judgment process. We're so quick to associate blame. We're so quick to to try to figure out we know what they meant by that and what they did. And Lord, would you just help us? Would you... Would you, we just repent right now, Lord God. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be a church that's like that. We don't want to be an individual. We don't want our marriage to have that all rooted in it. We don't want our kids to hate us because we're so quick and so judgmental. Lord, would you help us to break that process? Lord, can we believe the best, even, even if they're wrong, even if they're not being gracious? Can we just believe the best? Could you help us? Lord, some of us have been hurt. So we've got a background story. We don't, we don't believe the best because last time we trusted someone, they did us dirty. And the five times before that, they did us wrong. But Lord, you, you call us. You call us to measure out kindness, even if it hasn't been measured out to us. Then can we now pray and commit to measure out grace and kindness to others? Would you just take a moment right there under your breath and say, Lord, help me be more gracious with my spouse, with my children, with my parents. Help me be more great. Help me, help me measure out above and beyond. I want to I want to I want to I want to fill up their taco with more meat than they even know what to do with. Lord, would you help us be more gracious with one another, with our coworkers, with our boss? Lord, would you help us be more gracious with with our ex-wife? Lord, would you help us be more gracious, oh God, with our stepson who keeps saying you're not my daddy? Lord, would you would you help us? Would you, would you help us extend grace and measure out more than they deserve and give them more than they paid for? Could you help us be like that? And then would you as we close out this moment of prayer like this, would you help me by crying out to God to, to commit to be more self-examinatory? That you would pay attention and look more in the mirror than you look through the microscope. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you'd help me. Lord, may I wake up every day and say, you know what, Lord, change this in me. May we be more 
self-examining, Lord God, than we are examining everyone else. Instead of critiquing everyone else and saying they're the problem, may we back up and say, Lord, what in me is still not right with you? What in me is still broken? Lord, what in me have I not allowed you to touch and to change? What in me is still unforgiveness that's creating this conflict in this marriage? What in me, oh God, is causing my kids not to even want to come home and be with us? Father, help us to be quick to self-examine. Help us, oh God, to look through the eyes of your love and your compassion, even at ourselves, so that we can do that with others. And Lord, may this church be a church that doesn't stand in judgment and criticism of one another. But may we be loving and caring and may we have each other's back. And yes, at times when we have to say, dude, I don't think you should do that. Lord, may that not be received as judgment or criticism, but may that be received as it's supposed to be love and care, making each other stronger. If you'll keep your head bowed for just a moment, I want to give a final call for anyone in the room that might say, Pastor, I got to be honest, I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I know for a fact that that I'm not ready. I'm not right with the Lord. Hey, I got such good news for you. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He drew you here. You didn't have to come. He's well, my, my niece was getting dedicated, so I came. Maybe you've been coming for a couple weeks. Maybe you've been watching online with us. I want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus as your Lord. Say, maybe you say, Pastor, when I listen to you guys, it sounds like Jesus is your best friend. He is. That's true. You caught that right. This is not dead religion to me. This is not about good and bad and right and wrong. This is about knowing the living God and Him living and abiding within me. Miracles happening weekly in my life. Experiences, goodness, changing and becoming more like Him, obeying His teachings. And maybe as you stand there, you feel void of that. You don't have a relationship with the Creator. Well, the Bible says it like this. If you'd confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he would forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, you don't have to give money to the church to go to heaven. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do good, you know, go cut the neighbor's grass for God to love you and have a relationship with him. So just clearly confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I'd like to give that opportunity to anyone in this room. Say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian, or I used to be, and I've walked away from God, but I want to come home today. Would you let me pray with you? Would you let me lead you back to Jesus? Would you let me connect you and him as best friends in this moment? Could I, could I pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Right there where you stand, you and God can come into relationship through a prayer of repentance, through a prayer of dedication. No one's looking around. If I'm speaking to you right now, God's tugging at your heart. Would you let me pray with you? Would you admit that to yourself and to heaven by just lifting your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get right with God today. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? God bless you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Make sure I see you. Just wave your hand at me. If I don't see it, yes. Okay, God bless you. Thank you. You can put it back down. Yes, yes, ma'am. God bless you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty. Anybody else? It's time, Pastor. Okay, buddy. Bless you. I don't want to live like this anymore. It's time for a change. I want God in my life. I'm ready for I'm ready for him to have every part of who I am. Anyone else? Give you a couple more seconds. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. Nothing magical about these words, but supernatural is that you wanted God in your life. And I want to help lead you to him through a prayer of dedication. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of those who lifted their hand and are making Jesus their Lord today. Could we pray like this? Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. But I ask you now to forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, I declare you are my Lord. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those men and women who prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or Lord God, they've been coming back to you, Lord God, and they're rededicating their life to you, Lord. I pray right now they would feel and sense mercy, that they would feel and sense the joy of being right with you. They don't have to perform for you. They don't have to be better than the guy down, down the aisle from them. They're just, they just have a relationship with you now. And Lord, in the, in the nighttime when the enemy starts saying, you didn't mean that, you know you're going to go back to what you always used to be. Then may they have the courage to say, no, no, I did mean that. And I do want to serve Jesus. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to do my best. And that, Lord, then you would just wrap your arms around them. And, Lord, they would feel the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit living and abiding in them. And, Lord God, when the lie comes that they're not good enough, may they hear you whisper in their ear, you're mine, and that's good enough. And, God, when they make a mistake and they, they sin, may they hear you say to them, I forgive you even as they repent to you, God. And Lord, may they never be the same starting today. And may their days ahead be bright and beautiful as they have a new relationship with you. And may they increase and become best friends. In Jesus' name, amen.